Our text this morning will be 2 Timothy chapter 1. You can turn there. We'll try to go through and make these highlights. They're not random. I actually did prepare. You can ask Debbie. I was (laughs) trying so hard to get it to come together. But uh, mostly we may, with the time allotted, we may only get through half of it. This devotional, as I just was talking to Brother Bernard, this devotional is intended to encourage you, my dear brothers and sisters, leading up to our corporate participation in the Lord's Supper. An oft-heard reply to people, you've heard them say, yeah, but you're just preaching to the choir. Well, that might be you because I know that what that usually means is that what the person is going to be saying, they already agree with it, like preaching to the choir. But please let me know, let let me let you know, in this case, beloved, I am preaching to my own heart as well. Oh, blessed Savior, is thy love so great, so full, so free? Fain would we have our thoughts, our hearts, our lives engage with thee. Like thee in faith, in meekness, love, in every beauteous grace, from glory unto glory changed till we behold thy face. O Lord, we treasure in our souls the memory of thy love and ever shall thy name to us the sweetest odor prove. Wow! I read that and was just blown away. That's from a brother Joseph Stennett, uh, who lived in the 1700s. He was in uh, that 18th century era hymnist, Joseph Stennett. Well, as I mentioned, or did I mention uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1? I did. Okay, I'm keeping up with myself. As we follow the flow of this passage of Scripture, Try to keep in mind, there's three purposes in we do in observing, observing the Lord's Supper. There's representation, communication, and thirdly, a confirmation. Now, most of us, we've heard, and as Baptists, and just general Baptist life, the supper is just a memorial, just a memorial. You're just remembering... There's no no means of grace in it. But as we go through, I'm hoping to bring out that it's not just a remembrance. It's not just a memorial. Indeed, it is that. But however, a proper view would include much more. And also, we can call this uh, an ordinance or a sacrament. 
let's not shy away actually our uh, particular Baptist forefathers did interchange those two terms. So as I'll mention later about something else, we don't want the Roman Catholics to hijack all the good stuff. That was just a side note about the particular Baptist forefathers uh, using those terms interchangeably. I don't have any uh, quote or anything that would verify that, but I don't recall if I heard, read it in an article or heard it on a podcast, but I, I believe it is true. The bread and the wine are symbols or a representation of the blood and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the Lord's body and blood are represented or symbolized in the elements that we partake of in the supper. That's the representation. Second, the table communicates something. It's a message about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever this table is observed, the message of the gospel is proclaimed, isn't it? The gospel is Jesus Christ died for sinners. So this is a living picture, brothers and sisters, is it not? So a third thing that the communion does, it seals up the work of Christ and the benefits of his death upon us, his people, his church. Now that's one of the uh, purposes of the communion, this Lord's Supper, that I think many of us miss or have missed in the past, either altogether or by reason of neglect. The first place I'd like to bring our attention to in this passage of scripture is Paul's address to Timothy. As far as I know, uh, Paul was not married. Pastor Steve, uh, Pastor Mike, others, please correct me if I'm misunderstanding, but I don't think he was ever married or had any children. Yet, if you look at this address to his son, he says, my beloved son, Timothy. Oh, wow. Not just a son, a beloved son. Now, without doing injustice to the text, I think we could read it this way. Timothy, my beloved spiritual son, since he didn't have his own children. Just a few verses later, if you look at that passage, the love that Paul had for his beloved son is expressed in these words. Here's Paul. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Who prays for something or someone Night and day, well, Paul did for his beloved son. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Oh, my. Obviously here, spiritual sons is not uh, limited to males. Sons is a reference to sons and daughters, is it not? But that, put yourself there, that's us, the spiritual sons and daughters. And 
a proof of that? For it was fitting for him, the Lord Jesus Christ, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many, what? Sons to glory. Jesus was the first fruits. This what happened one time will never happen again. But it wasn't just for Jesus Christ. It was for him and it's his gift to us brothers and sisters. Now, beloved Christ, who gave his very own life, his affection, would that be less than what we would see in the relationship between Paul and Timothy? No way. He, Christ, who instructed us from the very beginning to do this in remembrance of him, that means that he's bidding us, poor, unworthy sinners, to come to feast at his banquet table. For it is written, in the days of his earthly life, Jesus offered up both specific petitions and urgent supplications for that which he needed with fervent crying and tears. Sounds familiar to what Timothy had said, uh, Paul had said. Strong, strong crying and tears to the one who was always able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission toward God, his sinlessness, and his unfailing determination to do the will of the Father. Now, that's an amplified version. If you would read that in your King James or New King James, you wouldn't find those exact words. But I thought the amplified version really got to the meat of what that is saying. Hebrews 5.7. You can look it up. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, through as many, as I say, in our allotted time, we're losing time fast, but that's okay. The riches, it's so rich, the richness of God's word, we could never reach the depths of its meaning and application to us. Amen? Amen? Yeah, yeah. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. We talked about that. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Filled with joy. You know, when we come to the Lord's table, 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 um, we should bring the, the intellectual knowledge that we have of what it means, the theological. But more than that, we should come with joy, thankfulness, gratitude, those things. And Paul mentions here 
the joy that he had was the result of something. If you look at it there in verse 5, can you see what it says there, why he was filled with joy? When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now, aren't you glad, I am, aren't you glad that Paul didn't commend Timothy, his spiritual father, for some level of excellent faith or super strong faith? Timothy, you've got this strong faith. No, we're glad he didn't say that because what he said is, I'm joyful when I call to remembrance the genuineness of the faith that is in you. Now, brothers and sisters, when we come to the Lord's table, let's be honest, we don't come in the spiritual attitude and the spiritual graces are not just overflowing. We've been bombarded by the world and all the things that come upon us, don't we? Yeah. But that's not the reason to keep ourselves from the Lord's table. But I don't feel like I have strong faith. I don't feel like that. That's not the standard. The standard for us coming to the Lord's Supper is that we have genuine faith. And we need to remind ourselves, I want to do this for myself each time we come. Thomas Watson, our beloved brother from ages past, said this, a weak faith can lay hold of a strong Christ. A weak faith may lay hold on a strong Christ. Wow. Thomas Watson indeed. And he he wrote a book on the Lord's Supper, so you could check that out. Now, we've been told, as we talked about a little bit ago, that the Roman Catholics try to hijack a lot of our stuff. And one of that is tradition. Tradition, you know, fiddler and not, not that kind. But not all tradition is bad. Did you know that? No. Even for us pro- Protestants, we shouldn't let other uh, religions and uh, things that are not orthodox shouldn't let them hijack our terms that would be for our spiritual blessings. And we can see this back at our text. Notice Timothy was not the first to be blessed with the genuine faith that Paul talks about. Well, where did it come from? For that which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. If that's not tradition, I don't know what is. Tradition is when you have such a blessing 
and it's handed down. It is handed down again and handed down again. This genuine faith was in Timothy's grandmother, then his mother, and then also in him. Can I exhort you here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church to continue to hand down those things, keeping the faith that is said later in the, in the Testaments to stand firm for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Stay encouraged, teach your children, reach out to your neighbors and fellow members and attenders. He says, for that which was first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, because of that, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now, we don't believe in magic type thing where if Paul uh, put his hands on Timothy, that some vibes or electricity went through to him. No, the laying in on of hands, we do this to elders when they're uh, ready and um, looked upon their gifting to do whatever uh, to bless the congregation and the elders and the deacons will put their hands on the individual. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Why did he say that? Because Timothy would be subject to fear. Why? Because Paul spent a lot of time in prison. To be associated with that guy would be uh, a sentence for them also. But Paul admonishes his beloved son Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. In the same book, over in chapter 3, verse 12, it, uh, Paul reminds his readers, the people that were here, hear it, Yea, and all that will God, live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. A lot of times we think it's a personality conflict. Um, he doesn't like the way I dress. But if you're a Christian, if it's really... Um, you can tell that that person is a believer they're going to be angry at you they, they're going to be thinking oh he's uh, goody two shoes and even that we can take that kind of persecution but it be assured he says all that will live God and then that's kind of a warning isn't it Oh, I'm not, I'm not getting persecuted. Maybe we're not living 
the holy life that we should, that people would see it. The purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but is now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's a little mini confession right there about the Lord's Supper. That it done it, it go boom, and yeah. What is the, we talked about representation, communication, and confirmation. What is this uh, confirming to our hearts about what happened at the cross? Well, Jesus brought life and immortality to light through the gospel and abolished death. Uh, there's a uh, Heidelberg Catechism a question one that I love so much it says that um, what is your only comfort in life and death my only comfort in life and death is that I'm not my own that I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ who with his precious blood gave himself for us I'm paraphrasing and not only has he saved us from the pangs of death and brought life, but he's also provides his providence that not even a hair of her head can occur without the Father being involved. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. That's a problem. That's a problem there. Not a problem that God's word is inaccurate or anything, but commentators are divided. Is he saying, I'm, I've committed to him that the Lord's supposed to keep, or has God committed something to me that I'm supposed to keep? Yes, <laughs> they're both true. So I won't go into that. But Paul goes on, verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you, so now that we know he's talking that there was something that was given to Timothy that he's to, supposed to keep, says, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. There's so many names in the Bible. There's some accounts you would never know their name. They were, they were in there, there's stories in there, and you'd never know who they were. Unfortunately, here and forever, the name of Phygelus and Hermogenes are mentioned that they turned away from Paul. But on the good side, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived at Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me, 
the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well the many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Part of the communion liturgy, we have liturgy, but it's very simple, isn't it? For as often as you eat and eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 1 Corinthians 11.26 And so we have enough time to participate together in this wonderful ordinance or sacrament. I'm going to close with a selection from a lady named Ann Dutton. Debbie and I are going to uh, get one of her, her books. She was really famous during the 1700s. Of course, being a lady, you think all of the theologians are men. You've heard of uh, George, uh, Whitfield. You've heard of Wesley. Well, guess what? And Dutton wrote them letters and talked to them about theology and she's really well known for her treatment on the Lord's Supper. For Anne, the Lord's table became her favorite spiritual exercise. Is it that way for us? When we come to the Lord's table, could we honestly say it's our favorite spiritual exercise? She believed that the Lord's Supper was a foretaste of glory here on earth. Could we say that? I pray that that would be our testimony as well. She said that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are spiritually going into the presence of our King, the King of glory, because he invites us to a royal banquet. For Anne, and I would pause it for us too, it should be the same for us. In the supper, both now and when we do this, years ago we had an older couple in our church, John and Edna Watson. And one of the most precious things, we will never forget where we pastor Steve, he would say, one time more and one time less. So we draw near to Jesus Christ obediently, reverently, and joyfully. <laughs>